Psalm 7, a Shagayon of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjaminite. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and you may establish the righteous. You who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has his bent and arrow and has readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, we're glad that you're here. As Scott said, uh, my name is Mason Brown, and I am the Director of Student Ministries here at Rio, and for you that might be wondering what that is, it essentially means that I have the best job in the entire world. No lie. Um, not only do I have the privilege to oversee the student ministry and all of the many different facets of it, but more importantly, I have the honor to work alongside an amazing team consisting of Will Bushman, who is our middle school director, and Drew Brown, who is our girls' ministry director, to lead students into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that each student that God graciously allows us to get to know, if it's through Impact, which is our large group gathering for both middle school and high school students, if it's through lock-ins, which is when you stay up all night and drink way too much coffee in order to do so, or if it's through us having an active presence at both Sunrise Middle and Fort Lauderdale High, and that these students would know that there, are, that there is a God who loves them and who has proven that love to them in the person of Jesus Christ. And the really exciting part of our, about our jobs is not only do we have the opportunity to share the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done for us with those that we encounter, but we often get to see the transformation that Christ begins to have within the lives of these students as they begin to realize that in the same way that the Father has sent His Son into the world to redeem them from their sin, and Christ has also sent them into the world even at the young age that they are at, and to be his ambassadors, 
to be his agents of renewal at their schools, on their sports teams, and even in places like Haiti. And so that is a small picture of what I get to be a part of each and every week and why, in my opinion, I I seriously have the best job in the entire world. But with all of that being said, it is a privilege to to be able to be here with you this morning. And I really do mean that. Not only is it an honor and to have the opportunity to, to open up God's Word uh, with the community uh, that I came to faith in and who has poured so much into my own personal life uh, over the past couple of years. But uh, as I was preparing uh, this week, uh, I was struck uh, with the realization that when I'm typically uh, opening up God's Word here at Rio to preach, uh, I'm usually uh, sweating profusely. And Yes, I know that might sound incredibly strange. And so to give you some context, uh, the reason why that is the case is because each week before we open up God's Word on Sunday and Wednesday nights at Impact, we, we play dodgeball. Uh, yes, it is amazing. You guys all laugh, but you really want to play. Um, it's amazing. It, but besides the fact, I am in some sense selfishly thankful uh, that we didn't just come out of an intense game of dodgeball uh, and that I'm not standing up here before you sweating as I'm trying to catch my breath. Um, but instead, I'm thankful that as a community, we have had uh, the opportunity and to remember our God. We've been honest with Him about ourselves, and we've rested in His grace. And now this morning, we have the privilege uh, to receive His wisdom, to hear what He has to say uh, as we continue to work our way through uh, the Psalms. And if you've been here with us for any amount of time as we've been working our way through this series, you'll hopefully recall that this book that we've been working through is not just a random collection of poems and songs and hymns, but instead it is, it is much more than that. And God, by His Spirit, has superintended the writings of these psalms through people who are just like us and who experienced all the same kind of things that we experience within life, and they sat down and they wrote these psalms in the midst of their greatest lows and their greatest highs, in seasons of joy and in seasons of sorrow, in times of failure and in times of success, so that we, 3,000 years later, can learn how to live and worship and serve our King faithfully and during the day of trouble and during the day of prosperity as well. And this morning, as my wife read, who did a phenomenal job, we come to Psalm chapter 7, and where we once again, we, we find David in a day of trouble. And we, we find him in a season where things just don't make sense, no matter which way you spin it. And the reason why is because there are people who are defaming his name, who are speaking lies about him and who are attacking his character based off of nothing that he's done wrong. Which I think many of us can relate to. We have all, at one point within our life, we've been victims of slander. And we've been gossiped about. We've had our character feel as if it's under attack. And the ironic part is that just doesn't occur when you're in middle school, right? <laughs> we all laugh because we know it's true. Because that, it doesn't just happen in middle school, but it takes place within our lives as well. It occurs at the workplace, amongst our friends, and even over social media. And what typically happens is when we become aware of the malicious lies that are being said about us, our first response, if we're honest with ourselves, is that we seek vengeance. 
We, we fight back as we try to establish our own justice. And the reason why is because words hurt, plain and simple. Even though we all know the nursery rhymes, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And that is the farthest thing from the truth, because they do, especially when the things that are being said about us are untrue. However, this morning, as we work through Psalm 7 together, David is going to come to us and he's going to present to us a completely countercultural model of how we are to live today when we are victims of slander. He's going to teach us that instead of seeking vengeance on our own as we try to establish our own justice, that we are to first and foremost turn to the Lord as our refuge. And as we do, we're going to be reminded of the fact that God alone is the righteous judge who will establish his perfect justice. Not us, but him. And so the question for us this morning is pretty straightforward. And that is, how do you, as you look at your own life, how do you typically respond to slander, or maybe in a more general category, to other injustices within your life? And do you seek vengeance on your own as you try to establish your own justice? Or like David, as we'll see, do you first and foremost come before the Lord and seek your refuge in, in the Lord? And so with all of that in mind, let us now uh, turn our attention to Psalm chapter 7. So if you guys have a Bible, you can turn there uh, with me. If not, you can uh, follow along on the screens behind me. And beginning with the superscript, this is how the psalm begins. It says, A Shagayan of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush and Benjamite. I want to stop there for a moment because I know that many of you are probably wondering what in the world is a Shagayan and who is Cush the Benjamite? And to answer your question, I don't know. And it's not just I don't know, it's not just I didn't do my research, but, but no one knows. Now, since the word Shagayan is found in Scripture only one other time, we're not 100% sure of its original meaning. However, we do know that it has something to do with music specifically a lament psalm, for it says within here that he, David, sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite, which again, we're not 100% sure who Cush the Benjamite is, since we do not have anything within the biblical narrative to inform us of who he may be. And so as we begin this psalm, we're, we're off to a really good start, right? Two for two. Hopefully it gets a little better. Um, but before we do jump to verse 1, there is one thing that we can take away in regards to the superscript that the psalmist gives to us. And that is that the words of Cush and the false accusations that he brings forth against David become the inspiration, the muse behind his song that he cries out to the Lord. And so starting in verse 1, this is how David begins his prayer to the Lord in the midst of these vicious accusations. He says, O oh Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. And save me from all of my pursuers and deliver me. And lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. And as you read that, you can't help but feel the sense of urgency and desperation that is behind David's voice as he cries out to the Lord. In verse 2, he even likens the pain that he's currently experiencing within his life and due to the words of Cush. 
to that of a lion tearing and devouring its prey, which is not really a jolly image to think of, right? If you've ever seen the Discovery Channel, you, you kind of know what I'm talking about. But, but notice that in the midst of these vicious accusations, the season in which David's character is being under attack, it's as if his soul is being ripped apart. And notice who he turns to. He doesn't look to himself and to his own strength to try to establish his justice. But he turns to the Lord and he says, O oh Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Which should be true for us as well. When we are slandered or are accused of something that we have not done, our first response should be like David. We should cry out to the Lord in the midst of our pain and our suffering and say, God, it is in you that I take refuge. You are my security. However, all too often, if we're honest with ourselves, that is not the case, at least for me. And as I was thinking about that this week, um, I realized that the reason why is because our name, our reputation, and our image is worth its weight in gold, at least for many of us. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel, who is a late-night talk show host, has a segment that airs every so often called Lie Witness News, and if you've ever seen it, you then know that he sends out a reporter into the streets of Hollywood to interview um, to, to the streets of Hollywood to interview random pedestrians to see how many people will actually go along with the lie that they're trying to deceive people into believing. And so, for example, in one of his episodes, there he makes up the lie that there is a new scented iPhone on which you can hit a button and it'll dispense whatever type of scent you want to smell, which I don't know why you would ever want to have that, um, but that's besides the fact. Uh, but nonetheless, within this episode, you see that these people that were being interviewed thought it was the coolest thing. They were instantly amazed by the scent of roses and coffee that this phone was supposedly dispensing. However, as we know, as the audience, nothing's actually happening. In fact, this, this new scented iPhone that they're trying out is actually just an old iPhone with a piece of plastic that's attached to the back of it, and there are no smells that are being emitted from it whatsoever, even though these people acted as if it did. And as you watch this video, you, you realize that these people just went along with it because they wanted to be liked. They didn't want to be an outsider of the conversation that was being had around this new phone and this new technology, and so they lied, stating that they smelled these different aromas when in fact nothing was happening. And in the same way, we do everything within our power to try to protect our image and the way that people see us, because at the core of it, we want to be liked as well. And so when our image is shattered by an insult or an accusation that we are completely innocent of, we typically, if we're honest with ourselves, we lash out in anger as we try to establish our own justice. Maybe we retaliate and we gossip behind that person's back so that we can destroy their credibility as we try to restore our name in one way or another. Or maybe we turn to social media, right? As we declare our innocence, hoping and that it will vindicate us of the wrongs that have been committed against us. However, in Psalm chapter 7, we see that that is not the case, right? 
And David, or even though David has the same desire that we have to protect our image and to protect our name at all costs, he takes a completely different approach. And David, who is teaching us how we are live today when we are victims of slander, he doesn't run into the battlefield seeking vengeance on his own as he tries to establish his own justice. But rather, we see that he first and foremost turns the Lord as his refuge. And before we kind of go any further, I think this kind of is a breaking point for us to kind of internalize and ask ourselves the question, well, who do we typically turn to? When we are slandered or accused of something that we have not done or when we are gossiped about, do we turn to the Lord as our refuge or do we turn to ourselves first? And so within this psalm, the, the really, we see that David turns to the Lord as his refuge, but the question, really the key to the psalm is why? Why is David able to do that? Because let's be honest, our natural tendency is to look to ourselves as we try to establish our own justice. And so listen to what David says, starting in verse 3. He says, O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, and let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. And David, he turns to the Lord as his refuge because he knows that the Lord is righteous. And so he calls upon the Lord as the righteous judge to search his heart, to see if he's guilty of any of the things that his accusers have said that he's done. And here we see a glimpse of the false accusations that are being casted upon David. But notice what he does with them. He doesn't dismiss them. He doesn't seek vengeance upon his accuser, but he says, O Lord my God, search my heart. See if I'm at fault. See if I'm guilty. See if there's evil or wickedness within my own heart. And if so, if you find that I am guilty, then let my punishment be just and swift. Which on the side, I think, forces you to stop for a second because how often do we, or do you, like David, in the midst of slander, turn to the Lord and say, God, search my heart. I think all too often, we, including myself, we are so quick to respond to those accusing us or slandering our name that we often fail to see the sin in our own heart. It's possible that people are slandering us or accusing us of whatever it might be because we've sinned against them. And maybe it's because we haven't treated them right. But nevertheless, here we see that David, in the midst of these vicious, false accusations, he submits himself to the Lord, the righteous judge, to search his heart. And now notice what happens next. He calls the Lord to action. Starting in verse 6, he says, Arise, O Lord, in your anger, lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you over at return on high. The Lord judges the people. And judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end and may you establish the righteous. You who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. David comes before the Lord and he says, Arise, get up. Assemble the people. The picture that David is creating for us is one in which God is ruling over a worldwide court where not just a nation is being judged, but the nations. 
And so David comes before the Lord, the righteous judge, and he pleads his case. He says, God, you've, you've searched my heart. You know that I am innocent. And so would you render your judgment? Would you vindicate me as you declare my enemies guilty of lying and fabricating these charges against me? And it's important to note, as Bruce Walkie states, that David is not asking God to rain down curses upon his enemy, but he's simply asking God to establish his perfect justice, to deliver those who are oppressed like himself from their oppressors. Which on a side note, I think forces you to stop for the second and be thankful for the fact that in the midst of slander, in the midst of whatever other injustice that it might be, that not only do you have the ability to go before your Father in prayer and ask Him to deliver you from whatever it might be, if it's according to His will, but that we serve a God that will one day usher in a new kingdom where there is no more pain and no more heartache and no more injustice. David, in verse 9, he even says this. He says, Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end. You can feel, even in the, in, the, in the midst of these vicious accusations, you can feel as if he's longing for that day and that God will one day render his judgment once and for all where, where all wrongs will be made right, where the truth will finally be revealed. And so David comes before the Lord, the righteous judge, and he asks for him to establish his justice, to vindicate him. But in doing so, something happens. He's struck with the realization that he can't ask God to render his judgment upon those who are accusing him without having the Lord judge him as well. And even though he knows that he's innocent in regards to this specific accusation that is found in Psalm 7, he knows that ultimately, on the day of judgment, where all of the nations will one day be gathered before the Lord, that he will be unable to stand before the righteous judge on his own merit. And the reason why is because just like Cush, he too is sinful. And not only has he committed slander in his life, but he's committed murder and adultery as well. In verse 9, David even says that God is able to test our hearts and mind, meaning he's able to see us for who we truly are. He's able to gaze into our hearts and see every impure thought, every inclination, and every sinful deed that we have ever done. And listen to what day, in the Lord will one day look upon each and every one of us and judge us based not upon some arbitrary scale of how good we are or how many times we've gone to church or how much money we've donated or how many mission trips we've gone on. But instead, as we see within this passage, he'll judge us based upon his holy and perfect righteousness. And anything apart from that will deserve his judgment Listen to what David says in verse 12. He says, If a man does not repent, and God will wet his sword, he is bent and readied his bow, he's prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows of fiery shafts. As I was doing, reading that this week in my personal worship, that's a pretty ominous sight that David kind of gives us a picture of. He reveals to us the posture that God has towards those who have fallen short of his perfect and holy standard and who have not repented of their sin. And David even says that God's sword is sharpened and his arrow is knocked. And he's ready to pronounce his judgment, meaning death, upon those who are found guilty. 
And so as the psalm ends, you'd expect David to be somewhat apprehensive unto that day of judgment where he'll one day stand before the Lord, the righteous judge, since he's realized that just like Cush, that he too is sinful. But notice how the psalm ends. In verse 17, he says this. He says, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. And David ultimately ends this psalm in praise because in faith, he knows that the Lord will send a perfect sacrifice to take the arrow, to take the sword, to take the punishment that each and every one of us deserve. For we have all fallen short of the perfect standard that God has laid before us upon himself and so that we who have placed our faith in him and could be saved. And David here is looking forward to something that we have the ability to look back on. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ who is the greater David. And Jesus willingly came to this earth and he entered into our humanity to be beaten and spit upon. And in some sense, unlike David here in Psalm 7, he was torn apart like a lion. He was flogged 39 times with a whip. But it didn't just end there in that suffering, but he eventually made his way to Calvary and where he was pierced for our transgressions as he took our sins upon himself as he died on the cross to pay the penalty for them, which is death. But on the third day, God raised Jesus from the dead, declaring to us that our sin had been paid for so that we, who have placed our faith in Christ, can not only have a relationship with our Father in heaven, but we can now stand in confidence knowing that at the day of judgment, the righteous judge will no longer see our sin, but he will see his son's righteousness that has been imputed to us who have placed our faith in Jesus. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 even says this, he says, For our sake God made him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, and so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How amazing is that? God has taken our sin upon himself and so that we can not only have a relationship with God and receive the gift of eternal life, but so at the day of judgment, we can be vindicated before the righteous judge. How amazing is that? But the question that you might be asking yourself is, okay, well, that Mason, that's cool and all. That's cool that David points us forward to the Messiah. But what does this all have to do with us when we are slandered or insulted or accused of something that we have not done? Well, I think first and foremost, David presents to us a model of how we are to live today when we are falsely accused. And so instead of seeking vengeance on our own, as we try to establish our own justice, which is our natural tendency, we should follow the pattern that David has given us, which is we should first and foremost turn to the Lord as our refuge. And as we do, we should be reminded of the fact that God alone is the righteous judge. And don't get me wrong, when we do that, that doesn't mean that for now we kind of just run away from the battle of injustice or sit passively on the sidelines as we allow some gossip to continue to fester without confronting it head on. But instead, it actually means the exact opposite. By seeking our refuge in the Lord and resting in the fact that God alone is the righteous judge. And not only does it remind us that there will be a day well, each and every one of us will have to stand before the Lord 
and he'll judge us based upon his perfect and holy righteousness. But that it's only because of what Christ has done for us that we are able to be seen as righteous within the eyes of God and ultimately receive the gift of eternal, eternal life as the righteous judge will eventually vindicate us of the sins that we have committed as he ushers us into the gates of heaven. And as we reflect upon that, as we turn to the Lord as our refuge and we remind ourselves that God alone is the righteous judge, and as we reflect upon all of that, it enables us to be sent out in love and grace as we run into the battlefield of injustice, knowing that at the end of the day, we're all in the same boat. We are all sinners, and each and every one of us. We have all fallen short of God's perfect and holy standard. And the only difference is that we have placed our faith in the one who has taken the arrow, the sword, the punishment that we deserve upon himself so that on the day of judgment, we'll be vindicated before the righteous judge, not because of our good deeds, but because of what Christ has done for us. And so with all that in mind, when we confront our accuser or those who um, are slandering our name, would we speak not in a way, uh, not in a way of out of anger, but would we speak in such a way that it points them to that Messiah and to that one who has saved us? Think about it for a moment. Jesus, who, who is the true David, how did he respond to those who mocked him and who falsely accused him? Think about it for a moment. He didn't look to himself and to his own strength to try to vindicate his name, but as he hung upon that cross and bearing the weight of our sin, he, he looked down and he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And would that be true for us as well? Would we not seek vengeance on our own, but instead would we seek our refuge in the Lord, our righteous judge, and live out the mission that Christ has given to us, which is to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us and so that they too can know Christ as their personal Savior. And so with all of that in mind, I want to leave you with two questions. And the first, and most importantly, as you look at your own life, and do you know Christ in a personal way? And do you know that Christ has entered into our humanity to save you from your sin and he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins, which is death, so that you could not only have a relationship with your Father in heaven, but could one day be vindicated before the righteous judge as you enter into the gates of heaven? Do you know that? And if not, I encourage you to either find myself or there's a prayer team that meets up here at the end of each service and they would love to pray for you, talk to you more about what Christ has done for you and how you can begin to have a relationship with him today. But secondly, as you leave today, I want you to reflect on this in light of what Christ has done for you. How are you currently responding to the injustices within your own life? Are you seeking vengeance on your own as you try to establish your own justice? Or like David, are you coming before the Lord and seeking your refuge in Him? And so let's pray. God, we thank you, Father, for this morning, for the reading of your word. God, we pray, Father, that as we leave this place, that you would be at the forefront of our minds. Would you help us, as Paul says in Ephesians 5, would we be imitators of you? As people see us, would they see you? And even when we are slandered or accused, and God, by the power of your Spirit, would you help us um, to live out the mission that you have given us, which is to love those and to pray for our enemies. And God, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.